Today we are continuing on with our series um, called Eternal Life. This year we've been focusing on loving our neighbors and that we are commanded to love our neighbors. And what that forces us to do is it forces us to look outward, to think outward, to face outward. It forces us to take on burdens that we don't technically need to take on, to do things we don't technically need to do. And that can be a really difficult thing, especially, uh, you know, depending on the situation you're at in life, we all face those moments when you can, it takes everything you have just to keep your own life going, right? That all you can do is keep your own plate or your own family's plate spinning and to even try and take on anything else just feels overwhelming. And the idea that God would command us as a lifestyle to love others and to be outward facing can be overwhelming. And so what we talked about last week is that the goal of this series as we go through these conversations that Jesus has with people in the Gospel of John, is to see how God calls us to live an outwardly focused life. He calls us to love our neighbors, but he also supplies to us the life that it takes to be that kind of person. That he doesn't ask us to take on this God-type mission without giving us his divine life, without giving us a different way of living that actually makes it possible. And so last week, we looked at this first initial conversation that Jesus has in the Gospel of John with Nicodemus, where he talks about the nature of eternal life. And what we talked about was that eternal life is not simply more of the life you already have. It's not living longer. It's not living wealthier or healthier. It is a different kind of life, so much so that to have it, you have to be born again. You have to be transformed. You have to be changed and adopt this new kind of life. And the key difference is that normal life consumes. It is sustained by eating, by drinking, by bringing in oxygen. And the moment you stop consuming and taking things in, that's when you start to die, right? If you, depending on which one of those things you stop consuming, you have a different life expectancy, but you sustain yourself by eating, drinking, breathing, and guaranteeing that you'll have more to eat, drink, and breathe, Right? Eternal life, what we found is that eternal life is the opposite. And that's why it's also sometimes referred to as dying. Jesus says you have to die and live again. You have to be born again or you have to be resurrected from death because you actually have to switch the direction of the flow. That eternal life is outward focused. That eternal life is sustained by receiving from God and by giving to others. A way that I sometimes visualize like normal life is like being a black hole. You suck everything in. And eternal life, I guess, would then be more like being a star that is part of a galaxy that, is, that rotates around a center that, that is connected with God and with other people and that is part of this flow of God's love and God's life. Now, that kind of life is very hard because we, it requires us to let go and to not be in control of it. And also, as we've been talking about this, may, this may sound really abstract. In reality, and especially in the Gospel of John, it is very, very practical. When Jesus talks to people about this eternal life, he's talking to them in real, normal life situations. And today is probably the best example of that. Today we're moving into the very next chapter, chapter 4, where Jesus has a conversation with a woman who is performing a daily task that you hopefully have never really had to do, which is collecting water. We all have plumbing or access to water in some way, uh, they had to get their daily supply of water by carrying it in jars. 
which jars are not light on their own. And so Jesus is having a conversation with a woman around this laborious daily chore and this difficult life that she's leading. And he offers her this eternal life as a solution for the daily grind that she's experiencing. And so what I want us to do is resist our temptation as we go through this story to elevate the conversation to something that is so abstract that it doesn't, that it doesn't answer the reality that Jesus is speaking to. Because whatever he's saying, he's saying something that matters to a woman who is worn down by the chore of getting water. And as we'll see, by having to avoid other people while she's doing it. So I'm going to read the first portion of the conversation and then we'll start to unpack it. John chapter 4, verse 4. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This conversation is happening on two levels. There's the practical level of water, and there's the metaphorical level. I think sometimes I have been in the habit, though, of separating those two levels too much, because I'm not sure that they're actually so much two levels as they are two dynamics of the same situation. So Jesus comes to this well, and there's a woman there. It's the middle of the day, which is an unusual time to draw water because it's hot. And drawing water is a lot of carrying heavy things, lifting, moving heavy things. It's a lot of work. So he's there, and this woman brings her equipment, her jars, to draw the water, and he asks her for a drink. And she's surprised that he would want water from her, because she's a Samaritan, and her water is supposed to be no good to him. And then he makes this offer that she should really be asking him for water. That's, how are you going to get it? You don't have a bucket. I'm the one who came here prepared. I brought the equipment. That's why you asked in the first place. And as they talk, it becomes clear that they have these two different mindsets that are coming into contrast. And what I want to do is I want to compare these two mindsets. Um, And you can see them in this exchange. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? Jesus says, I want to give you a source of living water. Living water is a phrase that means running water. We would call it running water, right? Uh, water that's stagnant, that's just sitting there, um, is one kind. And then there's living water, which is moving, which is always healthier. It's getting filtered, that kind of thing. So that's, that's what the phrase living water means in normal talk. And so she, he's offering her running water. And she's focused on how are you going to get it? What are you going to draw it with? You need, you need a bucket. You need a jar. 
Now, I was going to call this the bucket mentality or the jar mentality, but this is a, this is a mentality that human beings have always had and always will have uh, this side of glory that we struggle with. And the most common way to talk about it today, there's a phrase that we use um, that uses a cup. So I'm going to talk about it as a cup mentality. Because this is you, if you've been online, you have probably seen this phrase. You can't pour from an empty cup. Often it will have the tagline after that, take care of yourself. And in fact, it's interesting that I have seen this statement used as an interpretation of the great commandment because it says, love your neighbor as yourself, which means you have to start by loving yourself. It's one of the common interpretations. Now, I am not here to push back against uh, ideas of self-care. I'm not here criticizing self-care. However, I do want to point out that this meme, this idea of you can't pour from an empty cup, which makes perfect sense, it seems perfectly logical, seems like good advice, is part of the mindset that Jesus is pushing back against. This idea that you are a cup and that you can't pour from an empty cup that's what the, how the woman thinks of herself. And Jesus is teaching her to think in a different way and to seek a different kind of identity, a different source. So we're going to talk about what it means to say, to think of yourself as a cup. First of all, what is a cup for? A cup is designed to hold water, right? Which means to possess it and to control it. You know, a cup has a different size, right? You pay when you get a drink, you pay by the size of the cup because a different size cup holds a different amount. So we're going to hold a different amount. And then the really nice thing about a cup is you can control it. You can take your drink with you wherever you want to go. You can move it. Um, that's what a cup does. A cup holds things. It possesses things. And when we think of ourselves, to say that a person is a cup is to say that a person is identified as defined by the, how much water they can hold, by what they can possess and what they can control. We think of ourselves as people who, have, who possess a certain amount, who have achieved a certain amount, who are competent in a certain number of ways. That's how we think of ourselves. Like, I am a person who has these abilities. I am a person who is good at these things. I am a person who owns this amount. We will very often find our identity in how big of a cup we are and how full our cup is. Right? I, have the, I am a person who has a really strong marriage or I'm a person who has a really good job, or I'm a person who has a really bad job, or a person who's about to lose their job, or I'm a person who can't seem to hold on to friendships, or I'm, you know, we, we think of ourselves as a, per, a cup that has the ability to possess or control certain amounts. I am, I am wise at this, or I'm foolish at this. People would want to listen to me. People wouldn't want to listen to me. For instance, the Samaritan woman defined the size of her cup partly by her religious uh, association or ethnicity, when she says, well, I'm a Samaritan, you wouldn't want anything from me. That, that being a Samaritan kind of defines the size of her cup or maybe the quality of her water, right? And so that's what we think of how we define ourselves is I am what I can do, what I can possess, what I can offer people. It's who I am. Now, the other thing about a cup is a cup has, there, a, cup has a uh, goal, life, right? There's a goal for a cup. And you can, we know the goal because we have another saying that we use for this. We talk about being a, a person is a, you're either, a, uh, you see the cup as half full or half empty. Okay? Now, a person who sees the cup as half full is what? An optimist. Okay? A person who sees that it's half empty is what? 
pessimist. What does that tell you? There was a joke that I didn't hear. Uh, What does that tell you about the fullness of the cup? Like, what does that tell you? What's the goal for the cup then? If regarding it as half full makes you an optimist, then fullness is good, right? A cup is supposed to be full. We take that for granted so much that we can make a parable out of it, or just a saying, right? That everybody understands that if you if the cup has half is half full, that that means that if you think of it as half full, you're being an optimist because the cup is supposed to be full. A full cup is a good cup. An empty cup is a bad cup, right? I mean, the cup doesn't actually care, but that's the way we think of it. That's what it means to think of a cup having a purpose. So when we think of ourselves as a cup, then we're not thinking uh, objectively or neutrally about what my abilities are, right? We never want to say, I am a cup of this size and I'm empty. Like, we're not good with that. If we say, I have these abilities, I mean, I have these opportunities and I failed at them, or I have these capacities, or I'm not, like, we want ourselves to be a full cup. So as we define the size of our cup, and we define how full it is, we then form our worth based on that. If I'm an empty cup, I'm a bad cup. If I'm a full cup, I'm a good cup. doesn't matter what I'm doing with the water. If I'm full, I'm good. If I'm empty, I'm bad. And then the whole point of that saying, you cannot give from an empty cup, tells us that a cup can only give from what it can hold. If I have a cup that holds, let's say, a cup of water, I can offer, I can share with someone half a cup, right? I can't share with them two cups because I only have a cup. And anything that I share with them, I have to subtract from my amount. So if I share with them half a cup, I have half a cup left. I can't give three people half a cup because I only have one cup, right? So what that means is that, uh, first of all, uh, it, it changes our mentality in a couple of ways. First of all, it will oftentimes mean that in, when we're helping, we will, when, when we're approached with opportunities to give, our thought will be, well, I'll give when I'm full. Or I'll give out of my extra. I don't have enough yet. You want a quarter cup? Well, I want to make sure I always have at least three quarters cups, so I've got to wait till I have a full cup so I can give you the quarter cup. I'm only at, 70, I'm only at three quarters cups, so I can't share right now. And we look for, we, we don't want to share until we know that I have enough that I'll still be full enough when I give away. That's one way, and that's kind of a selfish way. But there's also more of a fear, uh, there's, there's another way that's not, not so um, selfish, but this mentality will say, well, I'm not a full cup. So who wants to receive from a cup that can't keep itself full? Or like, I need to be a full cup in order to have something worth offering to others. Because sometimes being a full cup might mean having your life together. And if you're a person who doesn't, have, doesn't feel like you have your life together, and there's someone you know that really needs you know, babysitting so they can go visit someone in the hospital, like, they don't want to entrust their kids to someone who doesn't have their life together. Or this person doesn't want to take advice from me when they know that I'm not making a lot of money. Or it's like, I am not a full cup, therefore people won't want to receive from me. Or we put it off saying, I'm on my way to becoming a full cup, and when I become a full cup, then I'll give, then I'll connect with other people, but right now, I have to fill my cup. The last thing about cups is that um, a, a good cup is full, a bad cup is empty, but then there's, there's not just full and empty, but there's also the idea of a broken cup. 
Sometimes cups get chipped, cracked, get holes in them. And a cracked cup cannot hold or share water well. And I would imagine that you can probably relate to the sensation, to the feeling or the sense of being a a broken cup trying to hold water. Right? Where you think, man, I, I filled my cup. I, I, you know, I took a break, I did some self-care, and, and now it's, it's been two days and it's all gone and I don't know where it went. My energy, my time, my money, my resources, my friendship, I, I don't know where it went, but it's gone. And now I'm running on empty again. Right? And very often, that, those cracks, those come from brokenness in our lives. And then another layer, just like we were talking about a second ago, is that when you're a broken cup, you'll often feel like you can't, people won't want to receive from a broken cup. They won't want to approach a broken cup because they don't want to be a broken cup. A broken cup is a discredited cup. It's a bad cup. And you see this in the Samaritan woman's life. We're going to pick back up in the conversation, and Jesus, she just told Jesus, um, okay, you have a spring of living water. Give me this water so I won't have to keep coming back up here and lugging my stuff and doing this daily work of every day having to come back and refill my cup. And Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you know, the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. What Jesus has just done is he has pointed out her cracks, right? He has pointed out exactly where her cracks and holes are. And you can see how those cracks would make it hard for her to hold water in her community, right? First of all, it would probably be a major blow to her self-confidence or to her feeling that she has something to offer. She certainly, nobody's going to be approaching her for marriage advice, right? She has been discredited in her community for that, rightfully or wrongfully, because it doesn't tell us anything about how she came to be in this situation. We just know that she's in this situation, and so she is a cracked cup. In fact, that's why she's there in the hot part of the day, because she can't bear to be around the other women of the village drawing water in the cool part of the day. So as a cracked cup, the Samaritan woman has nothing to offer her community, if, her, if she is supposed to be a full whole cup, if that's the goal, if that's what it means to be a, a, a person with something to offer the world, she got, she's got nothing to offer. Now, of course, all the other members of her village are cracked as well. They're all cracked, but their cracks are in less visible places, apparently. Hers are on display for Everybody knows about her cracks. But because she has cracks that are leaking out her water, she, she feels like she never has enough, right? She's got to break up her, I, I, she's got to break up her routine to go into the, uh, the, the well by herself in the middle of the day. You know, it, it affects her routine. It affects her work. It affects her stress. It affects her on a very practical level. This is not abstract, right? This is, this is real visible brokenness in her life and her ability to hold her life together. As a cup... She has nothing to offer. She's never going to be full. She is stuck with this constant rat race of having to go back and fill up as whenever she feels empty and trying to find an opportunity to fill up every day. This drawing of water is her life. 
It, it shows you who she is and the, the life that she's stuck in. And Jesus has an answer to this. Jesus basically says, don't be a cup. Be something else. He tells her to be a spring. He says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Don't be a cup. Be a spring. So let's talk about springs. I had to do a little research for this sermon about an unusual place. I didn't really look at digging wells and things, but there's a couple of different ways to dig a well. And this diagram will show you both of them. So on the left, you will see a water well. In a water well, you dig a hole until you hit water, and then you wall it up, and you've just got water sitting there, and you drop a bucket, and you draw it up, and that's how you get your water, right? And so you are, this is a water, this is a water source where you go there, and you do the work of pulling the water up, okay? That's a well. There's another thing, which when it's naturally occurring, you call a spring, and when it's unnaturally occurring, you call an artesian well. And here's what you do. For an artesian well, you don't stop at this, level, this layer of water. See that pipe? They sunk this pipe and it goes down further into the loam, whatever that is. I didn't research it well. It's going into the loam and then it goes into the clay and then it goes through impermeable rock. Now here's the thing. If you find a place where there is a layer of impermeable rock and then water underneath it, that water is under, it's not just under rock, it's also under pressure. So you sink the pipe all the way down, and when you punch through the rock, you get into that source of water, that water is under pressure, and it shoots out the top. You don't have to sink a bucket. You have to plug the hole in the top to make sure it doesn't just all flow out all the time. You got to install a spigot. But that's, that's an artesian well, or that's a spring. Whenever you see a spring, what's happened is somehow water under pressure has gotten access to the ground level. And it's coming out. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, don't be a cup. Don't be the thing that pulls the water up from the well in one piece, you know, in one scoop after another. Be a spring. Now, how is a spring different from a cup? Well, a cup is something that holds and controls and possesses water. Springs are designed to channel water from a source. They don't possess it, they don't hold it, they don't move it, they allow it to move. But the, the water is not, the spring itself doesn't hold water. It channels water. It, it becomes a way for water to move from where it's under pressure, from the source, out into the land. And Jesus is saying what you need to do is stop trying to be a self-sufficient cup that can hold your own water And you need to tap into a source of water, a source of energy, a source of redemption, a source of life. And it's funny because the Samaritan woman seems to change the conversation. And and in in, in this next part of the conversation, I've always thought that she was like changing the subject to avoid talking about her personal life. But actually, it makes perfect sense I think she's tracking it exactly with what Jesus is saying because she's still talking in those two levels of, of those twisted metaphor, or, you know, metaphor and reality. And she brings up something. She starts talking about how she has the same cup mentality in her spiritual life. 
Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now she's bringing up the great religious controversy between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans, which is the Samaritans said, you're supposed to worship on this mountain. And the Jews said, you're supposed to worship on this mountain. But essentially what she's talking about is this mentality that you have to go to a place to fill your bucket. She's saying, which well am I supposed to go to? Where am I supposed to find this living water? Do I draw it out of the well on our holy mountain, or do I draw it out of the well on the Jewish holy mountain? Turns out, she's not allowed on the Jewish holy mountain. She's got a couple of strikes against her. As a Samaritan and as a woman, she's definitely not allowed access to the water. But that's, she's still using this mentality of where am I going to go to get the water, to get me through, right? Because that was the mentality of the, of the temple religion, was that the temple was a place you could go to to experience the life of God and the Spirit of God, and then you left it and you went back out into the world. And it's also sometimes the mentality we bring to church, that we go into church to get our batteries recharged and then to get us through the rest of the week. And I do hope that this experience, that, that worshiping together recharges your batteries. But... You can't focus your connection with God into one location in one place. Because Jesus, he's not, here's what Jesus says in reply. He says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, sometimes we interpret that to say that God doesn't like like the ritualistic religion going on in the temple, and he wants you to worship in a spiritually authentic way. It's not what he's saying. God invented the, re- the religion at the temple. What he's saying is that a time is, has now come when that well of water that you've been drawing on in Jerusalem is no longer going to be your source of life. Your source of life is going to be a spring of living water because you're going to be able to worship in the spirit. Not worship spiritually, but worship God in the spirit. You're going to have the Holy Spirit in you. You're not going to have to go to the temple to draw from the water there because you're going to have the Holy Spirit in you. You're actually going to be a spring yourself. So Jesus is saying, even even spiritually, on every level, Things are changing so that you can have the so you can be connected to the source of life yourself. And you're not going to need to go to any mountain to receive that life. And here's the great thing about seeking um, fullness by connecting to a source instead of being a full cup. Here's the thing: is that springs don't need to be full. Like, it doesn't even make sense to describe a spring as full. What, what does that mean? Like, if it's flowing, it's full of water. It's, it's, so what is the virtue of a spring? Not to be full, it's to be open. A good spring is a spring that's not blocked, that is open and the water is able to flow. A good spring is one that's got a good connection to the source. So the, the, goal of the, the goal of it is not to be self-sufficient, but it is to be as deeply rooted in that source of water as possible. Paul had a very difficult life on the road, preaching, 
being persecuted, being opposed. Like, he had a very practically difficult life. And his mentality in that life was, was, he puts it in, similar to this in several places, but in Romans he says, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As we go through all this in hope because we're relying on the Holy Spirit. I don't have to be sufficient. I don't have to be able to do this on my own. I don't have to be able to answer all the questions. I don't have to be able to do everything. I don't have to because I'm being filled with the love of God. I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that, that gives me hope. That gives me what I need to get through. Doesn't get much more practical than Paul trying to keep it together in a prison cell. Right? That's not abstract. He's not in the ivory tower. He's in a prison cell talking about what it takes to get through life. And if, if springs don't have to be full, they just have to be connected to their source, then if we apply that to the idea of being a full cup, can you pour from an, you can't pour from an empty cup, but you can pour from a connected spring. Springs can give as long as they are connected to their source. Because ultimately what they're giving is not their own, it's coming from Jesus. And to me, this speaks most to when in those situations where I feel like, why would they want to receive from me? You want to know one of the reasons why loving your neighbors is so hard? Because you can't hide very much from your neighbors. Your neighbors will hear those loud fights in the middle of you know at night in your house. They will see how well you take care of your yard. They will know how expensive of a car you have. They will know these things about you. And so there's this vulnerability involved in loving your neighbor. They're going to know, more than other people, the quality of your cup. And so often it's hard to love our neighbors because we feel like, well, they're not going to want to receive from me. I'm not in a place where I can give. I'm not good enough to give. But here's the thing. You're not giving yourself. You're giving Jesus. What you give them doesn't have to come from you. It doesn't have to come from your proficiency. It doesn't have to come from you being master of your life. It comes from you being transformed by Jesus and you having Jesus to offer. And in fact, God prefers it that way. There's a moment in Paul's life when he, he tells us that God gave him a thorn in the flesh. And we don't know exactly what that means, except it was, it was something hard that he was suffering from. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. If you're able to help someone, even though you don't have your life perfectly together, that shows that it's not coming from you, it's coming from Jesus. If you're able to be hospitable to someone, to welcome them into your home, even though your home is a mess, you're able to bring them into your joyful chaos, that shows that it comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from you being an expert in life. One of the problems about only pouring into people when, they're full cup, when you're a full cup is it makes them think that being a full cup is normal, and it's not. Being a full cup is not normal. We're all broken. 
And here's the best, here's my favorite visual from all this, okay? If we're supposed to be cups, then the worst thing you can be is a broken cup, right? Because then you can't help others. Then, then there's shame involved and you're not a good cup and you're constantly running out. But here's the thing. It's very different with a spring. What happens if you have a cracked spring under water pressure, right? What happens? Flood? When a spring has cracks, it becomes a sprinkler, right? It's another hole for the water to come out of. It doesn't make it a bad spring. It gives it another outlet. Because the water flow is reversed. It comes out of the cracks. It doesn't go into the cracks. I mean, sorry, that actually didn't make sense. No, it comes out of the cracks either way. But the point is, it's flowing out from the source. It's not flowing out from me. I'm not being depleted by my cracks. My cracks are becoming a way that I can show Jesus. And this is exactly what Jesus does with the Samaritan woman's cracks. This is exactly what happens. Because when he's done telling her that we're going to worship in spirit and truth, she kind of throws up her hands and says, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain it to us. And for the first time in his ministry, Jesus reveals his nature to someone. This is the very first time he confirms for someone who he is. And he says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And now, now when she knows that he is the source of life, that that he is the source she can connect to, all of a sudden, she has something to offer her community, right? Because she runs back into town and it says, many of the Samaritans from the town believed him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Notice her testimony is about her cracks. She is going back there and talking about the one thing she never wanted to talk to them about before. The thing that nobody brought up, that every kind of, kind of avoided, the topic they avoided just as much as they avoided her, she's now bringing up and saying, hey, I met the Messiah. He knew about all of my cracks. He loved me anyway. And those cracks become a testimony. Those cracks become a way that life flows out of her. It doesn't mean that she's suddenly perfect. There's no reason for us to assume that she suddenly uh, understood how to have healthy relationships. Right? And that she suddenly became a respectable person that had everything together. If she was a real human being, she had a very long journey of ups and downs and of, of figuring out the, the rest of her life and being connected to that source. She didn't become, he didn't make her into a full cup. He made her into a spring and a sprinkler. And as a spring, she could share with them the Messiah himself. Right? She couldn't share with them like the, the seven steps to a healthy marriage. Right? She couldn't share with them how to achieve financial peace. She couldn't share with them that she had life mastered, but she could share with them Jesus, the source of life. The source that gets us through. And all of a sudden, she went from having nothing to offer having everything to offer. She went from a person who had no use in that community to being the most useful person in that community. And what changed was that she was connected to Jesus. She was connected to the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want us, where I want us to land today. First of all, I want you to remember that eternal life isn't about being a full cup, about having a full cup. It's about connecting to the fullness of God. 
As you're going through life and you're struggling to go through life and you feel like you don't have what it takes, the goal isn't to become a bigger cup or to fill more into your cup. That's not actually going to get you through. Because here's the thing about water. As soon as you are full of water, you immediately start losing it. Even if you don't have cracks, it starts to evaporate. Right? You immediately start losing water. But when you connect to an everlasting source, you will always be full. So the only fullness that is available in this life or the next comes from God. You're not a big enough cup to make it yourself. You're not a whole enough cup. But eternal life is available when we connect to God. And what that also means when we realize that full life is about being connected to a source, not being a big enough or good enough cup, then it tells us that you don't have to be whole, whole or full to give. You just have to share what God gives you. If you say, hey, I'm not, my life isn't together enough for me to be able to love my neighbors, that's, that's not true. Anyone can love their neighbor as they bring, they're being transformed by Jesus. Love your neighbor in the capacity he's given you to. Your house is a mess. You can still have people over because what you're offering them is not the best dining experience or the cleanest house they could see. You're not offering them a visit to a local museum. You're offering them an encounter with people transformed by Jesus. And God is actually quite generous with his water. And this is a theme throughout scripture. In Isaiah, God says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Jesus says in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He doesn't mean he's going to make you a big cup and fill you up. He means he's going to make you into a spring that is always full and overflowing with water. At the very end, one of the last things Jesus says is, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. God is generous with his water. He is an everlasting reservoir. If I can summarize all of this into one point that I want you to take home, one key practice, one key mentality shift that we have to make, that being a spring means shifting your focus from sharing yourself to sharing Jesus. As long as you feel like your mission is to share yourself in order to make people's lives better, it's never going to be enough. No one has enough to love their neighbors from themselves. The mentality that we have to shift to is to sharing Jesus. As you step out to love your neighbors, if your goal is to share Jesus, not yourself, and I don't just mean sharing a tract and explaining Jesus, I mean sharing the love of Jesus, sharing the character of Jesus, sharing what he's done to you. If you can adopt that mentality, you will always have something to offer. You will always have something to offer. Even if it's just inviting someone into your brokenness, and sharing with them how Jesus is getting you through it. That is a power beyond what you might expect. <sighs> Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so thankful to know that there is a source of living water. Father, we are broken cups. We struggle so hard to keep ourselves full. And we always find ourselves empty. We can never be enough or do enough. 
to save ourselves, let alone save anyone around us. And Father, we confess that we are so naturally drawn to focusing on how much water we can hold and how much we can carry and what we're going to do with it. Father, we pray that you would open up our fountains. Help us to clear away whatever may obstruct our connection to you. Make us into overflowing fountains of your love and of your spirit. Give us the courage to share in our vulnerability when we are not whole, but we are full of your love. Give us the courage to show our cracks so that they may be sprinklers instead of leaks. Father, we ask that you would help us to become like the Samaritan woman who went from having nothing to offer her community to having everything, even though she didn't gain a cent, she didn't fix a single problem in her life, she didn't change anything except she became connected to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.